You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. I haven't spoken to Joanne Bainham from Sterling Private Wealth for quite a while now, and during that quite a while, quite a lot has gone on. And Joanne, it's been, when you and I used to speak on radio, we would go through a few days of turmoil and get in a froth about it. But there were eight weeks in a row where the, the Dow Jones, the S&P and the Nasdaq fell, and suddenly we bounced back right at the end of last week. I think there was a three-day period when the market was really, really strong, obviously correcting itself from an oversold position. And I know at the moment... In your current position you're not a short-term trader but goodness me you watch the news all the time it has been quite extraordinary hasn't it it's been completely extraordinary and i think just go back to the history you and i have i mean you and i've been chatting on radio and tv for like over 10 years now if not longer hmm. and i remember back in the day constantly saying to you valuations would make sense to me and i was always bearish and always felt very stupid but what i didn't realize at the time was when there's so much liquidity around valuations are almost irrelevant and for the last couple of years, that's been true. So, you know, you've had SPACs, you've had cryptos, you've had um, meme stocks, you name it. Whatever rubbish was on display got sold, I mean, went up. And that's the kind of market we've had. Yes. But there's been a complete sea change in 2022, and, and largely on the back of the fact that the Fed has finally come to the party by saying, look, I'm actually worried that inflation isn't transitory. We're going to have to start raising rates. And as as it is, today we start quantitative tightening which means the Fed actually takes money out oh, of the market. Of course, yes, it's June the 1st, yeah, isn't it? This, is, June. The, this yes. is day one of, of yeah, money coming out the Quantum system officially. Fact. Yeah. Hmm. And, and if you think about it, for 10, 10, 11 years, if not longer, we've had just money being pumped into the system day in and day out. It's now starting to come out. Now, if you, if you do a very simple graph, and a lot of people will disagree with me on this, but I think it, it works. I do a simple graph of liquidity, of central bank liquidity in the S&P, and they look like one in the same line. Now, some people say it's not true, but when I look at it very simplistically, it surely looks very correlated to me. And that's what we've seen. Uh, this year, as, as liquidity is leaving the market through higher interest rates or the fear of a higher interest rates and now actually quantitative tightening, you have a lot of money leaving the market. That's not good for stock markets. So whilst I have been bearish for a very long time, I think the last time we spoke, I said to you, I'm still very worried about markets. Yes. I finally come right. <laughs> now, people listening to me will say, well, the stop clock is right twice a day. And they're probably that's a true statement. There will be a time to buy this market, absolutely, when valuations come in and when inflation appears to finally not be, I mean, not be structural anymore. But, but I think the rallies we'll see now feel like bear market rallies to me. I think it gives people opportunity to sell the stuff they don't like and get out of it because I think the next 10 years will look very different to the last 10 years. And I think the kind of portfolio you need to create is going to look very, very different. And I'm not bearish forever. I think there'll be certain stocks that will do very well. I mean, energy's done incredibly well this year. That's one sector. Yeah. Value shares have done very well. And I think we're going to start to see the sort of more cyclical elements of the markets. A lot of these commodity shares could do, do well again in the future. I think there are pockets of opportunities. But if you're relying on these kind of long duration stocks that have led the market the last 10 years, I think that's a dangerous strategy in portfolios. I think the one thing, you know, I, I like to look at graphs, not because I'm a graphist or a chartist, whatever you want to call it. I look at them and, and I see little blips like the blip that we've seen. I mean, it depends on the duration of the time frame when it comes to looking at graphs. And people look back at 2022 and say, that was nothing. Nothing happened there. NASDAQ fell 25%, but look what it's done in the previous years and goes on and on like that. And what was the last time, Joanne, you were... You 
you're more of an historian than I am. What was the last time when the market fell and then there was a V-shaped recovery? When was that? I remember it distinctly, looking at this thing and saying, it was down. It was just before Christmas one year. And again, my memory fails me. But it was a V-shaped recovery. Is that not 2018? 2018's the Fed started raising or talking about raising rates and then the market turned around and said, no, they can't. And they, they completely pivoted away from that. The markets it, rallied. It could easily it, be that. But I do remember it was around about December time in the V-shaped recovery. Yes, this is not going to yeah. be a V-shaped recovery. That's the thing. I think people are licking their wounds. And I do believe that there'll be like a bottoming formation, almost like if you can imagine a saucer, the market will uh, just form this saucer-like formation. And then maybe, I don't know, maybe it's in six months, maybe it's in uh, three years. But it seems to me that the shock of what has happened, and when you have a look back at the fundamentals and you read the textbooks that are being written right now by economists that students will be reading in a few years' time, you'll realise how shocking what we've all been through has been. COVID, well, interest think, rates rising, well, think, all that sort of thing. Well, let's go back to your V-shaped recovery comment. I mean, I think that's been very interesting for me from a psychology perspective. Everyone, every time the market's well, people had this kind of, well, buy the dip because, look, every time it falls, it goes up. But what they forgot is that the reason markets so viciously recovered is because liquidity was gargantuan. The amount of liquidity the Fed pumped into the markets in 2021 or two, and 2020 was so much higher than that what they pumped into the markets in 2008. I mean, if you look at the liquidity in 2008, it looks like it didn't even happen compared to what happened during COVID. So that is a large reason behind why a lot of stock prices recovered so quickly. This time round, the Fed does not have your back. And I remember interviewing a whole bunch of hedge fund managers in January of, of this year, and they said to me, almost every single one of them, uh, the Fed put is over. Um, you can forget about the Fed coming to protect you. The Fed no longer has your back. You've got to think about asset allocation very differently. And when it comes to that, then you've got to start questioning fundamentals again. And I would argue for the last couple of years, fundamentals haven't mattered. It was almost like the most risk you took, the more money you made. And that seems to be the kind of market we've been in. I think going forward, this is, and I know it sounds contrite because everyone says it, hmm. but I think finally we're going into markets where I think stock pickers can start adding value to portfolios. And particularly stock pickers who look at the price they pay for the assets they're buying. So in other words, not purely momentum traders who just buy whatever's going up. Not just a blanket buy, in other words, but because everything's yes. going up, then everything is going up, and so yes. we can do well. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of people that have made a lot of money being, and I don't want to be nasty about the financial services industry, but I'm going to, being talentless. I think... <laughs> And I don't include you in that, Joanne Bainham, at all. But but I think there's a lot of people that sit at their desk and the bloke says, well, look, we've just been given this by the Fed. You're a primary dealer. Get on with it. And he says, what do I do? Do I get into the bond market? No, it's ridiculously overpriced. Um, Maybe a couple of commodities. uh, Maybe you have a punt on the currencies. But no, equities is the only game in town. And it's been the only game in town for so many years. And suddenly everything's changed. And people don't know how to behave, Joanne. Yeah, I think it's not even that equities aren't their game in town. It's within equities, you'll be very careful where you invest going forward. And there's a, there's a fund manager called Sean LaRue that I think is very, very impressive. You know, there are quite a few in South Africa that I think are very impressive. Cy Jacobs is another one. Yes. But but Sean wrote a, wrote a piece recently saying that we can. he thinks, and I'm forgetting about the short-term, next six months, and your know, worries about recession and all those sort of short-term things that we're all currently worried about, he said, if you look at it like the previous 10 years and the next 10 years, do you remember Larry Summers talked about uh, the new normal and he talked about secular stagnation? Yes. He And what Sean LaRue argues, and I, I would 
advise anyone to go and find the article Sean's written, because he'll say it much better than I'm going to say it, that he thinks we're moving from actually secular stagnation to secular growth. Uh, and the reason he argues that, and it's predominantly led by the fact that he thinks governments will start doing more fiscal spending than they've done before. So that was also what was different in 2021. You saw fiscal spending by governments, 2020, 2021. He says he thinks that's going to continue for the next couple of years, which will lead us to higher nominal growth rates than we've become used to. Not necessarily higher real rate, real growth rates, because remember, inflation might stick around higher levels than we've, come, than we've seen in the past, but higher nominal growth rates. In a world where actually growth is stronger than we've seen, so we move away from secular stagnation. And also remember... Um, Individuals' balance sheets are very healthy this time around relative to where they were in 2008. He's saying that in that environment, be very careful of buying growth shares because what people did, they bought growth shares because interest rates were virtually zero and because growth was almost non-existent. Remember, secular stagnation. If we move into a world of higher growth rates than we're used to, higher spending, and particularly on things like ESG, I mean, Lindsay, you sit in the Netherlands, you know how obsessed everyone is about clean energy, energy transition at the moment, and you know how much money governments are pouring into ESG. There's going to be huge growth on that side of things. So he actually argues growth will be stronger, and you'll be wanting to buy the more cyclical elements of the market. That could actually mean commodity shares do quite well in the future as well. So, it's actually very interesting yeah. because the ESG the ESG story is is becoming quite controversial now. It's like a it's like a clarion call, and and people are getting really annoyed about it. It's almost like there's these um, uh, not radical elements, but uh, people that simply won't invest in a company that hasn't got the correct ESG credentials, and and quite right too. But talking about me being in the Netherlands. I've signed up for a green energy package and it's actually it's slightly cheaper than a normal package and all the energy that I get in my small apartment is from wind. I mean, there's wind everywhere here. You go outside, there's wind. You, go, you walk really? around the corner. Yeah, it's very, very windy. <laughs> Never mind the wind that I'm spewing out now, but there's loads and loads of loads and loads and loads of, of, of wind, and that's what I get. And, uh, and so the Netherlands, uh, the Netherlands has got a uh, there's a government gas trading company uh, that gets all the gas for, for, for the country because obviously it still needs gas, and the Russians have, have cut them off. And the Netherlands said, okay, well, fine. Well, we've, we've got we've got backup. Don't worry too much about it. We'll get some gas from somewhere else. It's very it's very very important what, what you're saying because there are certain countries that are ahead of the curve and certain the horrible phrase certain companies that are ahead of other companies and certain countries that are ahead of other countries will do well and others will fall behind. I mean, talking about this now, and this is this is this annoyed mm -hmm. me today. It didn't annoy me actually. I liked the the wrong the wrong word to use. I admired her candor. Janet Yellen said she was wrong. Did you see the interview that she conducted last night? She said I was wrong about inflation. I... Jerome Powell has never said I'm wrong. Uh, but Janet Yellen said, I thought it would pass. In other words, she's talking about inflation. And this is a woman that gets paid a substantial amount of money that has been in the market or as an economist for decades and said it was wrong. And you mentioned Larry Summers earlier on, and he uh, was also interviewed. And he said, well, if you look back at what I said when Janet Yellen said, it wasn't going to be a problem. I said, yes, it is a problem. So who do you believe these days? I don't know. Maybe I'm being a curmudgeon. <laughs> curmudgeon, that's a great word. Um, look, kudos to her for admitting her mistake. Yes, exactly. And, and maybe that's a female trait because women are better admitting that. Well, yeah. I, haven't met, I haven't met any. I've never met any of those females, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking on that one. I mean, look, the reality is I think 
they were given a lot of information. They were so used to how it used to be. They had massive quantitative easing during 2008 and it didn't lead to any inflation. So historically, you know, massive monetary printing led to inflation. Didn't this, didn't in 2008. They looked at their records and said, well, why would it happen again? So I'm sure it'll go away after the COVID spikes were out the way. I think what they've forgotten and what they didn't realize at the time was the change in the globalization rules. So we're now seeing that the term at the moment that everyone's throwing around is deglobalization. And it's also Janet Yellen herself who said, we're going to start seeing friend shoring. I don't know if you've heard that expression. No, and I'm so, glad I haven't, but you're going to tell me, aren't you? Well, no, if you think about what's happened with Russia, Ukraine, and the dependence of Europe on, on, on gas from Russia, mm. people companies in America now or companies around the world are going to start saying, we don't mind outsourcing our manufacturing, but it has to be to countries that we have good relationships with. And that has massive implications for what's happening in China, because people are still worried about that China might attack Taiwan. You know, we didn't think Russia would attack Ukraine. They did. You know, maybe the Chinese do something incredibly stupid. And do you want to have all your manufacturing in China if basically China gets shut off from the world? So I think that the whole concept of comparative, comparative advantage where companies are supposed to invest in where it's cheaper to do so are going to start saying, well, we can't afford that anymore because we can't take the chance. The country we're dealing with is no longer in a list we're allowed to deal with. And I think that is ultimately very, very inflationary because we know the labor is, well, it used to be a lot cheaper in China for labor than it is in the States. It's cheaper. It's probably cheaper in Europe than it is. In, I mean, cheaper in China than it is in Europe for labor. And so the cost of widgets all go up everywhere. On top of that, you know, if you look at the inflation story, I think what Janet Yellen and a lot of her contemporaries didn't realize is the move towards ESG, which we know is good for the planet in the long run, had kind of had a, a COVID feel about it. And what I mean by that, we went from net zero COVID then net zero carbon, like overnight. You can't. No. You, you have to transition economies from one extreme to the other. But by doing that, you suddenly had all these oil companies not putting any money into CapEx. And, and that obviously has implications of how much oil they're going to produce. And suddenly, a lot of the dirty stuff became very expensive because of what we were doing with ESG. That's also going to be a lot stickier than people are predicting. I mean, I, I see today that, you know, oil went up yesterday because the Europeans said that they won't buy from Russia going by the end of 2022. And then apparently they turned around and said, oh, well, maybe we'll take Russia out of OPEC or out of yeah, our decision-making Yeah, that was an interesting one. The Wall Street Journal reported that two high-ranking officials from Saudi Arabia and Russia uh, met in Riyadh, I think it was. It could be Jeddah, I don't know, but somewhere in Saudi Arabia. And they talked about kicking Russia out of OPEC+. Plus. And then immediately, from being $124 a barrel yesterday, it fell down to, you know, around about $115.50. It has bounced back now. As I look at my screen, as we pre-record this podcast, it is currently $117.30 or something. So what worries me about this whole energy story is it's not it, it's not going down. It's Again, it's not one of those, oh, my goodness, there's been an oil tanker <laughs> blown up in the, in, in the Gulf and um, therefore oil prices are going to spike and, and they would do because of people scrambling for short-term cover in the futures market. This time, it just keeps on going, Jan. It just, it, it, it doesn't stop. Even yesterday, the dip has been bought and it's been bought quite aggressively. And that is a problem for every single person on earth because it means that everything costs more. Because at the moment, because we're a fossil fuel consuming world, everything that we buy is linked to that. 
in two generations <laughs> time when when you're when you're when, well you might not be dead but i will be uh but when you've got <laughs> when you've got great grandchildren your great yeah well you know hello, it's, a, it's inevitability uh, your great grandchildren will enjoy a cleaner world at the moment you and i can't do that Energy yeah, I, is a I think problem. that's the point, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah, so I think it is a problem for the next couple of years. I mean, I think ultimately clean energy and transitioning to renewable energy it solves a lot of those problems. But the reality is we're not there yet and it'll take time. So that's the other reason I think these, these sort of inflation numbers are not transitory and not going back. Look, I do think we're going to start seeing a peaking in inflation numbers yeah. um, because you know, ultimately inflation is a rate of change argument. So even if oil prices stay at, say, $120, they have to be $120 plus 10% or 20% in a year's time every year, for it yeah. to be inflationary every yeah. year. So mm. I, I don't think that's what people are arguing. I think what they are saying is that oil prices stay at these elevated levels and don't come go back to sort of 60 in a hurry. But then again, trying to guess the price of oil is very, very difficult, and I'm not even going to try. But what I can tell you from a supply and demand perspective, they're not putting a lot of capex into projects. So and. Don't quote me on this, but something like in 2014, oil companies spent about $252 billion on new CapEx projects. In 2021, they spent $42 billion. And I'm not sure if you're aware, there's a windfall tax now in the UK on energy companies. And I see today two British energy companies have said, well, that's fine. You know, we'll pay the windfall tax, but we're not going to do new CapEx projects in the North Sea because now we simply can't afford to do so. So it's very tricky, this whole thing. It's all very tricky. What have your clever friends been saying? Because I know you do some work outside of Sterling Private Wealth and you speak to lots of clever people on another media platform. What has been the standout in the last couple of weeks and during this extraordinary market turmoil? Well, I tell you what is the standout. I think as team members of a company that I chat to called Apollo in the UK, mm. we're all struggling with, is this rally for real? Or is it a bear market rally? Uh, and my attitude is it, there's still a lot of bad news around and we haven't actually seen earnings revisions downwards enough yet. And I think that leads the next leg down in this market. Other guy, The other guys there are arguing, and it's really interesting, that on certain counters, valuations are incredibly incredibly impressive. So if you look at a lot of European companies trading at P's of 10, 11, sort of 12% EPS growth, that's very attractive despite what happens in markets short term. So don't try and time the markets. You can pick up some really good companies. You know, if you look at Asia, we, we know what's been happening in China. China's got zero COVID. It's utterly ridiculous. But one has to think it's not going to last forever. Uh, and they've got to start being very worried about where their economic growth is going. And they're trying to pump liquidity back into the system. So China's almost the, reserve of the reverse of the US, where they're trying to cut rates. They're trying to get people to borrow money. They're trying to get that economy going. They're not bleaking, not going on about inflation. They're, trying, they're more worried about growth. Uh, you know, maybe we could start seeing Chinese equities have a bit of a rally because their share prices are so depressed. Uh, you know, the likes of Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu, you name it, and a whole lot of other things like solar power generators, electronic vehicles. So we're saying actually from a stock picking perspective, there's lots of opportunities out there if you're not trying to time the next six months. And let's face it, most people get short-term timing wrong. So, so at that level, we're finding lots of opportunities. The other thing that I've been talking about is clean energy. So if you look at clean energy shares, if you look at share prices, they've come down a lot because a lot of them are long-term growth shares. A lot of them had a lot of hype around ESG like a year ago, and those share prices have definitely come in. And, and yet we know there's a wall of money coming to that sector. So those are you know, more interesting opportunities. But yeah, from an asset allocation perspective, there's quite heated debates right now <laughs> between do we just buy this and, and forget about trying to time it, or do we try and be clever and say, 
we're still worried about what's coming. My attitude is um, the markets got terribly excited because one of the Fed governors talked about potentially pausing rates, but a whole bunch of others just said, well, there's several more to come. I think it's still very uncertain. And I think liquidity tightening is just starting. So I'm saying don't be brave right now, you know, have a long-term plan, but but don't rush to buy equities. If you've got equities, hold on to them. But if you, I wouldn't be rushing to buy more. But, you know, again, timing is very, very difficult. Selling may and go away has worked for once. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's a silly, tired old phrase, but it has worked. And now it's June the 1st, maybe buy in June and look to the moon, something like that. We've got to come up with something, but <laughs> something silly like that. But um, anyway, uh, well, June is upon us, Joanne. Sorry, Salem May and come back in St. Ledger Day, which I think is 25th of September or something. Well, it's, a, it's a horse race. It's a, it's a horse race. Yeah. It's a horse race. It, yeah, exactly. Okay, well. I think it's the final flat race, uh, classic flat race of the season, actually, St. Ledger's at Doncaster, which is um, okay. a Yorkshire race racetrack. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Salem May and come back on St. Ledger's Day. Exactly. That's when people used to go away on holiday for three months. You know, the smart stockbrokers in those days used to take three months off. And um, gosh. Well, let, let's put it this way. My advice to anyone with money in the markets at the moment is look at the funds or, or companies you own. If they are on nosebleed PE multiples, mm. then I'd still be genu- genuinely very worried about them. If they are boring companies with boring earnings with decent dividend yields and PEs that are low, then I wouldn't try and be too worried about what happens in the next six months. I would just stick it out because in the long run, you're probably okay. But, but I do think high valuation stocks are still very, very at risk. And the other thing that back to the Sean LaRue thing that I was quoting earlier, I find quite interesting. A lot of people have been desperately buying companies with pricing power because, you know, that's been the thing to do because they're worried about inflation. But I'd say be, be careful of quality companies with high valuations because I think some of those margins could come under massive pressure going forward. Because do you remember Walmart and Target? gave results yes. about a month ago or two weeks ago and their share prices had cataclysmic losses. They got wallets. But they said, yeah. they said in their commentary, which I thought a lot of people didn't seem to notice, is, you know, uh, we've reduced our margins because we don't want to lose market share. But how long can they hold off on that? And at some point they have to then increase prices. You could have another wave of earnings disappointments as consumers just say, sorry, we're not buying. So I, I still think... People, are, yeah, I'd still be pretty nervous about buying companies if you don't think the moat or margin of safety is really impressive. So be careful. And the other thing that's, you know, it's also interesting to me at the moment is I know local fundamentals in South Africa are terrible. I mean, you know, I know the unemployment number improved recently, but they're still yeah. But uh, excuse me, before you go on, I mean, people saying yeah, the the unemployment rate has been cut. It went down from thirty five point three percent to thirty four point five percent. I don't think that's much of an improvement, quite honestly. I don't think there's many people, you know, dancing in the streets because they've suddenly just got a job. There's technicalities there. It is still horrific. Oh no, no, I was I'm almost ignoring it. I mean, the number is so high that even though it improved, it's still a terrible number. So I totally agree with you. I think it's a dreadful number. And I think local fundamentals here, uh, there's still the government still seems to be enacting policies that aren't pro-growth, you know, and, and there's a whole bunch of people still stealing. I mean, I can't remember the stat I read about municipalities in South Africa, but it's something horrific, like 85% of South African municipalities are bankrupt. Mm. Uh, the only saving graces for our municipalities in the SA is they can't borrow money because they would. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the post office came out with results recently with even bigger losses than they've ever had. And you kind of wonder, how are they losing so much money? Because they don't actually post anything. 
Nobody goes to the post office anymore. So what on earth are they doing? And you think, I, oh, that's impressive. I have to say, I, I, I sent something from the Netherlands to a friend who just had a baby, and I sent this very cute little hoodie, and um, it left the Netherlands within two days, and then I tracked it, and it got to South Africa, and then disappeared as soon as it got into the post office, into the realm yeah. of the post office. And I just thought, it's a lesson learned. Okay, it was you know, 30, 40 euros or something like that, and I'm disappointed, not with losing money, but my friend not getting something from me uh, yes. for his, his little baby. But it's a bankrupt organization, both financially and morally. People are just, people are just, um, just given up on the post office. Okay, but then here's the, the rub, right? If we go into a world which has higher nominal growth rates and we have a world which is very ESG-friendly, they're going to need a lot of commodities to get them there. Okay, so it's still going to be a huge demand for commodities going forward. China will turn around at some point. They're going to be needing more commodities. That's good for South Africa. And that means the RAND could stay a lot stronger than people are currently anticipating, despite terrible local fundamentals because local fundamentals don't drive the RAND. What drives the RAND is what the commodity prices are doing. So, yeah, it's, you can talk about how depressing SA is, but it doesn't mean the stock market won't do well. doesn't mean commodity shares won't do well. and doesn't mean the RAND can't stay long higher. So very interesting dynamics because our local fundamentals play almost no part in what happens to the JSC. Mm. So I think people don't always realize that. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, back to what, I, what we were recommending. I, I think low P stocks or value counters. I know sterling has been very bullish value for a long time, and that's doing well at the moment. Um, it will turn. We'll go back to growth again. But we might have some runway here. I've led you astray, Joanne, and it's been quite a long chat, but it's been a fantastic chat, and your insight is is, is uh, very, very interesting. That's Joanne Bainham, who is from Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position, or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.